Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Hey, we are diving into a new series tonight. We got a lot of ground to cover. I am really excited to be back with you. If you've been with us at all for the past few weeks, you know that we did a thing called the March of the Apprentices. And just one more time, can we show our apprentices some love for all that they brought in March? I mean, absolutely incredible. Daniel, Emma, Chandler, we love you guys. We are so, so thankful. Those weeks were absolutely incredible. But I am excited to be back. And tonight we are starting a brand new series that we're calling Worthless Religion. And I'm taking that language directly from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there. I'll read it for us here in just a moment. But just to kind of lay my cards out on the table from the get-go, I want you to know this. I don't want us to be a people that are filled or who pursue worthless religion. I want us to be a people who actually follow Jesus. And here, I just want to tell you a little bit from the get-go what I mean by this. Worthless religion, that it's, it says all the right statements, but it's not at all accompanied by the right actions. Worthless religion knows the right answers, but it puts nothing into practice. Here's the way that I've been thinking about it for the past couple of weeks, and it's this. Worthless religion knows a lot of information, but has not experienced transformation. And I do not want that for you. I don't want us to be a people who chase after worthless religion. I want us to be a people who are devoted to the Savior of the world, being Jesus Christ, and who follow him wholeheartedly into this world for the advancement of his kingdom. So that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. We're going to start right here in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive right in. I believe it's going to be behind me on the screens as well. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I'm grateful 
that we have just a place and an opportunity to come out and to gather and to play some games and to eat some popcorn and just be able to hang out together. Lord, fellowship is such a gift. And I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to do that. God, I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to worship you in song, that we can come, that we can gather together, and we can just sing the excellencies of your name. And God, I am so grateful that we have your word written down, that we can read together, that we can talk about together. And God, I believe that these moments are significant. God, I believe that you want to use moments like these for your glory, so I'm asking that you would do it. Do something incredible right here and right now. If you're willing, I'd like to just give you a moment to pray, just right there where you sit. I know we're, we're coming into that part of the semester where things are getting real, tests are around the corner, there's a lot of things going on. And I know you could come in here really distracted, but I just wanna give you a moment if you are willing, just in the silence of this space, would you pray in the silence of your own heart and just ask that God would use these moments to speak to you, to do something significant in your life? I'm going to give you just a moment to pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we would ask that you would just use these moments for your glory. Speak to us. Don't let this be another thing that we just attend, but let this be a moment in which we encounter you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I just read from James chapter 1 a few things that you need to know about this text as we dive in together. The first thing that you need to know is that it was written by a guy named James. You might have figured that out by the title of the book. Thank you, Trace. I know that that was really revolutionary for you. What you may or may not know about James is that James was the half-brother of Jesus himself, that he is the son of Joseph and Mary, which, pause, I just can't even imagine what that must have been like, like growing up with Jesus in the house. We don't have much details about what that was like for James. What we do know is that early on in Jesus's ministry, James and his other brothers and his family actually rejected Jesus, but James actually comes back around. And we see that James surrenders his life to Jesus and sees him for who he truly is, that he's the son of the living God, God in flesh, Emmanuel. And James comes, becomes a very influential part of the early church. And he writes this letter primarily to a Christian audience to encourage them about how they are to live their lives, how their lives ought to be marked by something different in the days in which they are living in, about how they are to live amongst the people in their day that would display something glorious about the one who they believe in. And one of the things that I have always loved about the book of James is how incredibly practical it is. That as we read through this book, we don't see James making a ton of like super intellectual theological arguments. Paul writes letters like that. James does not. James is incredibly practical 
in his teachings. He teaches them theology, yes, but he wants them to see these things in a way that transforms the way in which they live. I love that about James. This is why I wanted to start here tonight, because I believe that in many ways that this is the instruction that many of us need, that we need instruction that will result in transformation, that we need to not just consume more truth, but we need to consume truth in a way that transforms our lives, that we need to be transformed from the inside out. And James shows us so much about how we are meant to live our lives. And one of the things that he chooses to address very early on in his letter is the difference between being a hearer of the word and being a doer of the word. We're going to unpack that more in just a moment, but I think that from the get-go, we can acknowledge that we understand the difference between those two things, right? Like we understand that there's a massive difference between hearing the things of God and being acquainted with the things of God and then actually putting those things into practice. Those are two very different things. Being a hearer of the word is easy. Actually putting those things into action requires something else of us entirely. And what James is writing to, his, writing to us and what he's showing us is that there is a massive difference between passively listening and actively engaging. There is a massive difference between passively listening and actively engaging. As I was thinking about that this week, I was just thinking about my relationship with Jillian. My wife and I have been married for about three and a half years now. And occasionally, thank you, you soft clap, Michael, I appreciate that. Um, Occasionally, whenever we're hanging out together, I will get distracted. I am easily distracted by nature. As you could tell, Michael starts clapping and it draws my attention to him, right? I am easily distracted by nature. And so Jillian and I will be hanging out and she'll be talking to me. She'll be telling me like deep, important things that are going on in her life at work and in her heart and all these kind of things. And all of a sudden, I'm just like staring off at the people that are like walking down the street or, you know, we're sitting at a restaurant and I start like watching what's on the TV or something pops up on my phone and I'm just like gravitating towards that. And in those moments, if you know anything about my wife at all, you know that she is like so kind and gentle and mild-tempered, like she's not angry or anything like that. And so she doesn't like get snappy with me, but here's what she does. I'm like just zoned out, like not paying attention to her at all. And she'll speak up really softly and she'll say, hey, Adam, are you listening? And she says it like that, that little cadence, are you listening? That's what she says to me. And in those moments, boom, it like pulls me out of it because I realize that by Jillian asking that question, she's not asking, hey, do you recognize that there are sound waves coming out of my mouth? That's not what she's asking me. She's trying to draw my attention to the reality that although I may be physically present with her, Although I may acknowledge that I understand that she is speaking to me, I am not at all fully engaged in that moment. I am not at all fully engaged with her. There is a massive difference between passively listening and actively engaging. You know that. Perhaps you have a version of that in your own life. We get this distinction at least to some level, and this is what James is trying to get his readers to understand. And this is what I want you to understand. And I want you to think about this in the context of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must understand 
that whenever it comes to your relationship with the God of the universe, the one who spoke and sent galaxies spinning into motion, there is a massive difference between passively listening and actively engaging. And God wants his people to be people who actively engage, who actively engage. As you read through the storyline of scripture, you are introduced to a God who desires relationship with his people, that he created us in his image to find our fulfillment, satisfaction, hope in him alone. He created us for a relationship with him, and he's a God who speaks and desires for his people to hear him and to live their lives differently as a result. God has never wanted his people simply to passively listen. He wants his people to actively engage, to hear and to do. To hear and to do. I was thinking about that this week, and I was just thinking about this, that the very word for hear in the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament, is the word shema. Can you say that with me? Shema. There you go. We don't typically do audience participation, but that was cool. You learned some Hebrew tonight, okay? The word shema. And in Hebrew, this word shema, it is actually the word for hear and the word for obey, that there are not two separate words for those in the Hebrew language, that to hear something in the Hebrew, means to obey something. So whenever God in the Old Testament is calling his people, the Shema is made famous for the passage of Deuteronomy chapter six, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He's not calling them just to mentally assent to the reality that God is one. He's calling them to submit their lives to him, to hear and to obey it was the same word in the original language, the Shema. And what I just read to you from the New Testament book of James, this is in many ways a New Testament version of that Old Testament idea. And the New Testament is not written in Hebrew, but primarily in Greek. But although the language of the text has changed, God's heart has not. He is still calling his people to hear and to respond, to hear and to obey, to hear and to do, to hear in a way that creates response, not to passively listen, but to actively engage. So let's look a little bit more at what James says to his readers in this text. What we see, starting in verse 19, is that James, he starts to remind his readers that their own anger their own emotions are not always to be trusted. He encourages him to stop, to slow down. He says, hey, be quick to hear, but be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Slow down. He's encouraging them not to respond too quickly, but instead to take some time to listen. There's so much that we could learn from that one text alone, from that one verse. I feel like you could teach an entire sermon just from that one verse. But for tonight's purposes, what essentially James is saying is this. He's saying, hey, your own anger, your own emotions, sometimes they lie to you. 
Sometimes they're telling you things that aren't true. And you shouldn't just trust your emotions on face value. Your emotions are a good thing that have been given to you by God, but they are not meant to be the ultimate thing in your life. They're not meant to be the ultimate guiding force in your life. No, you need something different. You should not be captivated or ruled by your own emotion or your own anger. You need to be captivated by something else. You need to learn how to slow down long enough and realize that sometimes that anger is coming from a place that is founded founded on lies and not founded on truth. You need to slow down long enough to learn how to replace those lies with truth. Consider what you're listening to, right? Consider the emotions that you're listening to. He then goes on and he elaborates them to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What he's doing there, whenever he says that, put away all wickedness and rampant filthiness, whenever he says those things, he's calling them to examine themselves. This is a call to self-examination. He's calling his readers again to take a moment to slow down long enough to consider your own life. Consider the way that you are living. Consider what you are doing with your life. Consider your thoughts. Consider your words. Consider your actions. And what he's calling his readers to do is to consider whether or not their way of living lines up with what they claim to believe. He's calling them to examine themselves and he's showing us that the way we live our lives, that it matters. That as the people of God, we are not meant to be people who say one thing and then live an entirely different way. That's not who you're meant to be. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room tonight, that is not who you are meant to be. He is calling the follower of Jesus to realize that what we say we believe And the way we live our lives should be consistent. This is a dominating theme throughout the book of James. And he encourages us right from the get-go, stop, slow down, take some time to reflect, take some time to do some self-examination. Consider your emotions. Where are they leading you? Are your emotions leading you to life to the full? Are they leading you to intimacy with Jesus? Are they leading you just to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth? Or are your emotions leading you to a place of fear, anxiety, and comparison, and jealousy, and bitterness, and all kinds of dark places? Consider your emotions. Consider Your actions, what are they portraying? Are your actions, your thoughts, your words, your actions, are they displaying something beautiful about this God you claim to know? Or are they displaying that the true object of your worship is you? Consider your emotions. Consider your actions. Make sure that the way you live your life is consistent with this truth that you claim to believe. That all begs the question, okay, well, how am I supposed to do that? Like, what in the world does this look like? Does this just mean I've got to try harder and white-knuckle my way through life and just try to be a good little boy and a good little girl? No. 
This is not what James is trying to do. James is not calling to some version of self-righteousness. James is not calling you just to try harder and do better. James is calling you to get closer to Jesus. He shows us this whenever he says to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That part of the instruction is so incredibly important. If you want to know how you are meant to live your life this way, how in the world am I going to live my life in a way that is consistent with what I say I believe? How am I gonna make sure that I'm not listening to the wrong voices? How am I gonna make sure that I'm not captivated by the wrong things? Well, then you need to receive this instruction from James. To receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This part of the text is crucial, and I want to spend some time here specifically on these three words, receive, meekness, and implanted. If you're a person who underlines or circles in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline those three words, receive, meekness, implanted. This is the pathway. This is what James is trying to show us. And everything about this instruction from James It requires two things. It requires humility, and it requires intentionality. It requires humility, and it requires intentionality. A brief word on each, humility. James first, he tells us to receive with meekness the implanted word. Those two words, receive and meekness, are so incredibly important because what James is showing us is that we have to put ourselves in a posture in order to be able to receive from God. And he tells us what that posture is. He says to receive with meekness. Now, I understand that meekness might not be a word that you use very often, but essentially what James is saying is to receive, that we're meant to come to God with a teachable spirit, a humble, meek spirit, a teachable spirit that we're meant to humbly come before God with the intention to actually hear from him, to actually learn from him, and to walk away changed. That we're not meant to just passively listen, We're meant to actively engage, to give our attention to God fully, to actively engage with this God who is so holy, so mighty, so majestic, so powerful, so beautiful, yet still desires to know you. Like that's who we're communing with. So whenever we come to this, Whenever we come to God's word, whenever we approach him in prayer, we're not just doing so to consume some more information about him. We're doing so to meet with the God of the universe and to be transformed by him. That whenever we approach God's word, we're not meant to do so arrogantly. I heard a quote one time, and I cannot for the life of me remember who said it, that it's that we don't come to scripture to master it, but to be mastered by it. That's why we come to the Bible. We don't come to scripture to master it, we come to scripture to be mastered by it. It is something that we must do, we must come in order to receive, to receive these very words of life, to receive instruction, to receive the very word of God and to walk away changed. 
And I just want to ask you, like, there are some of you in the room. I know this isn't for all of you. There are some of you in the room, though, who have grown up in church. Whenever you hear me saying this, you're like, yeah, I get it. It's the word of God. But I want to ask you, is that what I, everything I just said, is that honestly how you approach this? Like, are you honestly approaching the scriptures with humility, wanting to hear from God, wanting to place yourself in a position, a humble posture in order to be able to receive from him the very words of life? Are you approaching this just like it's a textbook or a manual or a self-help book whenever you're in a time of need? Like, how are we approaching this? We're meant to approach this with humility, This is God's heart for you to receive with meekness this implanted word. That's the other version of this, the other part of this sentence that's so important, implanted word. Because whenever you begin to come to God's word like this, with a desire that whenever you approach it, you're approaching it prayerfully, you're approaching it humbly, wanting to honestly hear from the God of the universe. Whenever you begin to approach God's word like that, you will begin to receive his word in a new way. Not just on some surface level, not just some instruction for good living, but you will honestly begin to see this God of the universe who has a heart for you. And you will begin to receive his word in a new way and where it's not just on the surface level, but it, becomes, it becomes a part of who you are. That it is planted deep within your soul, not something you occasionally, impact, you occasionally interact with, but something that radically transforms everything about the way that you live because it will be implanted on your very soul. So how can you be sure that you're not captivated by the wrong things? You place yourself in a position of humility, in a position to receive from God. You approach his word this way. You approach him in prayer this way, humbly coming before him. This requires humility. But like I said, it also requires great intentionality. It requires great intentionality. This is not something that's just going to happen. Like you actually have to place yourself in that position. This is something that you must do. That's where this begins to get more practical because up until now, I've been using words like hearing, believing, receiving. And if you are not careful, all of those words can begin to sound like very passive actions. This is not a passive endeavor at all. Great intentionality is required on our part if we are going to actually become the people that God has called us to be. In my study for this week, I came across a quote by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a Christian philosopher who taught extensively about spiritual formation, about how we are to become the people that God has called us to be. And I believe we have this quote on the screens. Yep, there we go. I'm gonna read this for you. This is from Dallas Willard. He said, the enemy in our time is not human capacity, our overactivism. So he says, it's not humans doing too much, but the enemy is passivity. The idea that God has done everything and you are essentially left to be a consumer of the grace of God and that the only thing you have to do is find out how to do that and do it regularly. He then goes on, later in that quote to say, I talk a lot 
about the value of spiritual disciplines, but also the danger of using them as if they are to help us earn our salvation. And this this is it. But it is crucial to realize that grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is action. Without effort, we would be nowhere. I love that. It is so incredibly helpful. Effort is required in this life with Jesus. And I say this because here's my fear. My fear is that some of you in the room have bought a version of Christianity that sounds something like this. Hey, believe in God, pray a prayer, and just sit tight until you get to heaven one day. I don't know what that is, but it's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches. Yes, belief is required. Yes, faith is required. But effort is required for us to actually become more like Christ. Like, we actually have to live this out. We actually have to open our mouths and share the gospel. We actually have to pursue holiness. We actually have to pursue purity. We actually have to do these things. Something is required of us. We must pursue these things. This is the process by which we don't simply passively listen, but we actively engage. It is the process by which we don't merely hear, but we do. I want you to hear me really clearly because this this is where... James can become quite controversial because here's what I'm not saying. And hear the words of Willard again. Okay, effort is not the same thing as earning. It's not. So what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that you have to earn your way into this new relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying you have to prove yourself before God Almighty. I'm not saying those things. That would, be not, that would not be true. That would not be true to Scripture. James is not calling you to some version of moralism. James is not calling you to some version of self-righteousness. He is not calling you to try to earn your way into God's favor or to try harder to be a good person. It's important for you to remember that he says that you are to receive with meekness this implanted word. That's why I talked about that first. It's important that you realize this is what we believe about salvation, okay? Here's what we believe about salvation, that in order for one to be saved, we must come to a place where we realize that we are all broken people in desperate need of a savior. And not even just broken people, we are spiritually dead people who are in need of spiritual resuscitation. That's who we are. That apart from Christ, Ephesians 2 says that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. And you know what a dead person can do for themselves? Nothing. Nothing. You can't. And so what is required of us is that we must come to see Jesus rightly. We must see him as the true son of God, the true one who came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was buried in a tomb, and then rose three days later, defeating sin and death once and for all. You must believe that Jesus is the son of God, who God has risen from the grave. You must believe that. You must come to him and you must confess your sin to him and confess your need for him and surrender your life to him. But that is where so many of our gospel presentations stop, that we stop there. But that's not where the gospel stops. 
that whenever you come to that moment of submission to the Lord, what happens then is that you are born again into a living hope and that God's spirit is placed within you. That the very spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the grave now lives in you if you have submitted your life to him. And whenever you come to that place, whenever you have received the grace of God, Whenever you have his spirit living within you, that means you have been empowered to pursue a new way of living. But that pursuit will require effort. It will require effort. James makes that abundantly clear throughout his letter. He says elsewhere that faith without works is dead. It is worthless. We must put forth effort to work out what God has already worked in. You understand that? I want you to get this tonight. Pastor Josh talks about this idea a lot, and the way that he says it is that we're not saved by works, but saving faith always works. That whenever you come to faith in Jesus, it's going to actually change the way that you live. You're not going to just passively listen. You're going to actively engage because his spirit now dwells within you. But James continues, and I, I love this, because it's as if James anticipated that we might have a little bit of a hard time with this text. And we might have a little bit of questions about, well, how does this work exactly? What, what version, what part of this is my effort? What part of this is God's grace? And he gives us this beautiful illustration of looking into a mirror. And I love this. Like I told you, James is a really practical guy. And so he talks about something that we all do on a daily basis. We all look into a mirror. We all use a mirror to see and to examine ourselves, right? And so here's what James is doing. Think about it like this with me. Let's say that you're on a date downtown. All right, let's say you're on a date. Let's say that you've gone to the place downtown. I don't know if you've eaten at that restaurant yet. Incredibly good. My opinion that I believe to be 100% factual is if you go to the place, the one and only thing that's worth getting on the menu it's the chicken and waffles. It's the chicken and waffles. Hey, you can fight me about it later, but you'll be wrong, okay? You'll be wrong. It's okay. You're going to work with me through this analogy. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. So let's say you're on this date at the place. You've ordered chicken and waffles, and you're having fun. You're getting to know the person. You're laughing. You're having a good time because all first dates should be fun. That's a talk for another time. We'll come back to that later. Let's say you're on this date, things are going well, and at some point you get up and you go to the restroom, and you think things are going great, and as you're washing your hands, you look up and you realize that a piece of that golden brown waffle is lodged to your face. And you look at that in horror because you realize that you finished eating your waffle 15 minutes ago, and that thing's been there for a minute. What are you gonna do in that moment? In that moment, eat it. <laughs> Oh, that was incredible. It still works. It still works, David. It still works. In order to eat it, you would have to remove it from your face and then put it in your mouth. All right? Anyways, I was hoping you would say clean it up, but that's fine. We're going to still keep going through this analogy. So here's what you wouldn't do. Here's what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't get mad at the mirror because it showed you that something was on your face. You wouldn't demand that the mirror fixed it for you. 
you wouldn't walk away from that mirror and act like that problem didn't exist and go back to your date like you just knew it was, like everything was fine. No, you would do something about it. You would remove that which is on your face because whenever you're looking in the mirror, you're trusting that the image that you see on that mirror is factual, and so you wanna remove that which is out of place. You wanna fix that which needs to be corrected. And James is trying to get us to see through this analogy that this is very similar to how we are to approach our relationship with God. That the ability to even believe in God is a gift to us. His word written down and preserved for thousands of years for you to access in your hands or on your smartphones is a gift to us. These are things that we are meant to receive. And as we come to a place where we begin to submit our lives to Jesus and we begin to surrender to him and walk with him and apprentice under him and be his disciples and follow him in our lives, what begins to happen is that God's spirit continues to work on our hearts and on our minds. And he begins to transform us. And as we grow in our relationships with God, we begin to trust him more fully. We begin to see that his way, it really is the best way. We begin to see that his word, it really is the only source of truth. And we begin to trust his words about who we are and what our lives are meant to be about. And we look intently into his word as one who looks into a mirror because we trust that his way of life really is the best way. So we look and we pause and we stop long enough to examine ourselves and see, is there anything in this that I am not living consistently with? Is there anything about my life that is not consistent with what this teaches? And through prayer and through the power of the Spirit, we seek to live lives that actually portray that we believe these things, that we don't just say that we believe them, but that we actually believe them because merely saying them is worthless religion. That's not what I want for you. The main point for tonight is, my main plea for you is this, it's gonna be behind me on the screens. Don't pursue worthless religion. Pursue intentional devotion. Intentional devotion. Don't pursue worthless religion. Pursue intentional devotion devotion. This is the entire heartbeat of this text. It's the entire heartbeat of a large portion of James's letter. That if you're a person who approaches God and the word of God passively, then you're going to wind up pursuing worthless religion. You may have a mind filled with some correct information, but your life will never be transformed. It is easy to say that you believe in God it is easy to say that you believe what the Bible teaches. It is another thing entirely to actively engage with this God of the universe. James will say elsewhere, he says, you believe that God is one? Good for you. The demons believe and they shudder. It's not enough to just say that you believe. At some point, there needs to be a submission of yourself and a desire to actually live these things out. Don't be a person 
who pursues worthless religion. Instead, be a person who comes to the word of God, who looks into it, who perseveres, who does not just hear, but does. This is what I want for you. If you begin to do that, you will become a person of intentional devotion. I'm using that word very purposefully here because the word devotion, it comes from a word that means to attend carefully to something. It comes from a word that means to be diligent towards, to give oneself to fully. And whenever you are devoted to something, whenever you are truly devoted to something, it changes everything about who you are, about your actions, your thoughts, your pursuits. It changes everything. Whenever you come to God this way, truly devoting your life to him, you will begin to see his word in a completely new way. You will pursue it with intentionality, with purpose, giving yourself to it fully, and then your actions will begin to follow. The more time you spend with God, the more in tune you are to his spirit working within you, the more like him you will become. That what you will see is that you'll begin to care about what he cares about. You'll begin to love what he loves. You'll begin to pursue what he pursues, and you'll begin to do what he would do, that you'll move towards the marginalized, the widows, and the orphans in this text. You'll move towards those that are on the outcast of society. You'll move towards those who are without hope. You'll move towards those who are hurting. You'll move towards those who are in pain because that's what your God would do. That you'll speak truth, that you will pursue purity, that you will share the love of God. You will share these things because this is what God would do. You'll begin to develop a heart for others and a desire for them to come to know this God that you don't just know about, but that you know personally. This is the goal for every follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means to live your life alongside him, pursuing him and moving into the world in the way that he did while he was on earth. But understand this, being a disciple of Jesus, it will never be accomplished through passivity. It won't. It will only be accomplished through intentionality. So that's what the rest of this series is gonna be about. We're just gonna take some time to examine some core beliefs that we see from scripture that we would acknowledge as true, but the question is, how do we begin to actually live like these things are true and not just say that we believe that they're true? Because saying that we believe that they are true, that's worthless religion. But I want us to be people who actually live these things out. So I've been praying about this. I've been talking to many of you. And as I have, I've just been thinking about some statements, some things that the Bible teaches that I think that we we need the reminder of, but we also need some practical instruction of how we begin to live these truths out and let them impact our lives. So over the next three weeks, the way this is gonna work is there's gonna be one statement that we cover each week, one statement that is a truth from scripture, and we're gonna talk about how we would begin to live that out. Next week, we're gonna talk about this statement. God determines my value and worth. We're gonna talk about that. Because here's the deal. Many of you would say that you believe that, but how many of you are tempted to try to find your value and worth in all the wrong things? We all are, every single one of us. So saying you believe it, but then pursuing value and worth in anything else, it's not consistent. 
So we're going to talk about that. The next week, we're going to talk about this statement. This might hit hard for some of you seniors in the room. God is in control of my life. We're going to talk about that. We love, yeah, some of you are like, shoot. (laughs) We love to talk about the sovereignty of God. We love to talk about that God's got this. I'm just going to let go and I'm going to let God. God is in control of all things. But then we worry about every little decision. And our worry betrays us because it shows us that we don't actually trust that God is in control. The last statement that we're going to talk about before we go off for the summer is the statement, I am meant to become more like Jesus. We're going to talk about that. Because again, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, if you read the Bible, you know that you are meant to become more like Jesus. But what are you doing in order to actively pursue that? That's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. But for tonight, I just wanted to start here. How are you approaching God? How are you approaching the word of God? Is the voice of God the dominating voice in your life, or are you captivated by a bunch of other voices? Because here's what I want for you. Like this room, this is incredible. It's amazing that we get to do this week in and week out. But I don't want this to be a room full of people who just say the right things and never put them into action. I want us to be a people who don't just passively listen, but who actively engage. I want us to be a people who join God on mission in this world for the redemption and restoration of all people in the name of Jesus. That's what I want us to be about. But that will never happen if we're people who pursue worthless religion. It will only happen if we are people of intentional devotion. Pray with me.